0: So here today with Natu Myers for blockchain episode number eight. Natu is a blockchain investment consultant at Natu Innovations Inc. based over in Ottawa, Canada. So Natu is doing a lot of work in the space right now, the blockchain space to raise capital for interesting blockchain companies. And this essentially is an international operation, but he's actually based and certified in Canada, Ottawa. So I wanted to introduce Natu today, saw him on LinkedIn, posting some really interesting content and making some really good noise. So I thought Natu should come online and have a conversation about what he's seen in the blockchain industry in terms of investment and in terms of raising capital. So Natu, how are you? I'm doing pretty good. Thanks for the introduction, Sani. It's nice to be here. Awesome. Awesome. Is there anything you'd like to add to the introduction?
1: Well, I mean, you got the crux of it. You got, you got the core points is that, you know, it's, uh, it's a journey and it's, it's also, you know, making steps and it's a process to get, get, uh, you know, certified the company. But, you know, I'm still working with, uh, local securities laws to get this, uh, you know, fully up and running so I can actually facilitate those introductions. In the meantime, you know, I'm making good progress on getting the right pieces in
0: place. Yeah. It seems as though you really are taking steps towards innovation with creating a a blockchain investment fund, essentially, because this hasn't really been done before. I think in terms of the complex funding models that blockchain industry can actually use, is that the reason why you've had to go through a quite long process of building up a whole new way of doing investment?
1: Well, I mean, it's really interesting because I mean, the way that happened was it was a simple iterative process where you know I didn't come in, I didn't even come in, uh, you know, I didn't come in saying that I was going to even do this. You know, I came in, uh, you know, with with the mentality that okay, I'm going to solve a a big problem that many people have in the industry of blockchain because that's where people have seen that they need you know my help, and you know, I've just iterated from you know from from education to to this. So it was an iterative process and I had to take market feedback and readjust my offer until I saw the most valuable thing that I could offer people. And that's and eventually led me into, you know, into this direction.
0: Okay. That's very interesting because you mentioned some problems there and what are the key problems you were seeing in the industry in terms of raising capital?
1: Yeah. I mean, the biggest problem is, so, I mean, startups in general, right? Like is that initial phase where, you know, you have, uh you know there's there there's two types of companies some people say there are two types of companies right there are some companies that are really you you know it's a big idea it's really capital intensive because you have to pay a development team and you know you have no initial revenue to get to that large annual reoccurring revenue and there's this big gap and you know even if you don't have the money to bootstrap yourself then you must seek external funding to get to that or mm-hmm. there are other companies that are more you know lightweights, and they're more service driven and you know you have a lot of upfront cash but the sometimes the you can't grow as big because you know you don't have that lot you don't get those large investments and so in the first group you know in blockchain in, in particular mm. uh, there's a real misunderstanding with how blockchain works in traditional in the traditional financial sector Um, there's almost an adversity to it and those who aren't adverse are really curious and so you know that's part of the reason especially during the bear market and the complexities why there is a lapse and a lack of investments uh, heading towards the good companies in the blockchain space
0: Mm. okay so what do you think defines a good company in the blockchain space
1: well i mean first off you know i'd say that it has to solve a problem that many people have, right? So it has to be, you know, it has to solve a problem. It has to be, you know, from a business point of view, it has to be able to solve this big problem. And in doing this, be a viable business where you can generate returns, yes. And the, the the fact that the problem is being solved has been proven by either different participants, you know, by difference, you um, smaller versions of the project so basically there's proof of it actually working as a proof of concepts from a business point of view and for actually solving the problem they claim to solve so that's one of the biggest things and a lot of people you know seek the capital and seek these things but they haven't built a project that has been proven to do such things so I mean that's probably the biggest one and you know in talking to a lot of these VC firms yeah people like it when um, you know if it's a bit later stage if it's proven to be able to solve such problems uh if it's you know if it's promising if the pitch deck is promising and if they you know they need to validate that market and it's really early on perhaps like a more a high risk vc or you know the incubators would be interested in such projects
0: right 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 so for the average investor do you think that the complexity of blockchain the technology the information the idea of blockchain do you think that for the average investor, they'd be comfortable investing in a blockchain company compared to a standard, well, I say standard, but a more easily to understand technology company. So do you think that blockchain companies are different to invest in compared to normal tech companies? Again, I'm, I'm careful with my words because I say normal <laughs> very, very loosely, but what I'm saying is that, do you think that when somebody says, oh, we're a blockchain company, does that automatically make it seem different compared to other types of investment?
1: Yeah, so I mean, the problem is that, you know, the fundraising mechanism has evolved, right? And in 2017, you know, I always say out in 2017, you know, Ethereum came out with their ERC-20 standard and then several other protocols. And all that means is that, you know, uh, one blockchain made it very easy for tokens to create, for projects to create their own tokens Mm. so this has been used as an alternative fundraising mechanism that isn't regulated and you know from there it's really when people say blockchain companies looking for investments people aren't sure whether you're talking about you know a traditional fundraising round venture capital or if you're talking about initial coin offerings or you know if you're going through the sto routes i.e a regulated version of an ico or you're going through an initial exchange offering, which is the same as an ICO, except the exchange kind of facilitates a a lot of the listing and the control over the project for a certain amount of time. So, you know, that adds to, to the complexity, I would say, probably most of all.
0: Yeah, for sure, because I think that we all saw what happened with the ICOs in 2017, 2018, where there's this big, massive money just being pumped into these very interesting, small companies with interesting pitch decks and then you see everyone go away and and buy Lamborghinis. I think the SEC, a lot of these regulatory bodies have been thinking more carefully about how how to actually raise money in a safe way for the investor and in a way that the company is then going to be liable to actually take action to deliver value. And it seems as though this IEO is an interesting concept and seems to be taking a lot of that complexity out of the investment process, is that correct?
1: Yeah, so to some extent, I mean, you know like i've been you know i've been approached by a lot of companies doing IEOs and 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 tell me how they work so i mean you know a lot of it would be you know some have very high standards uh in regards to the projects they accept. it's kind of like a vetting process and others you know have a high fee and what kind of fees in
0: general what kind of fees are you talking about
1: well i mean you know i've seen some companies that have let me think top of 100 btc yep 100 btc wow. there's a range like really big range, uh to 5 btc and this was back in well i mean this is now like i know companies that are doing anywhere between 5 btc to 100 btc like so i mean you know some of that goes into like it's so complicated right because some of that goes into you know the market making that the, the exchange would do mm. in kind of moving the price some of them just go down to, to just a fee. so i mean it's it's a mix and you know considering the the hype associated with it i don't know how sustainable it is because you know if blockchain projects are to be you know trusted and all of that then uh and people are worried about exchange hacks and about the centralization of leaving your coins on exchange with quadriga here in canada happening then um yeah it's hype for now but i don't know how the problem of decentralization will be solved with that
0: yeah sure and just for our listeners a 100 btc fee to list an IEO equates to roughly half a million pounds in in the uk um or, you know about six hundred thousand dollars and would you like to also elaborate on the quadriga issue that happened in canada
1: absolutely yeah so i mean you know the owner of quadriga you know reportedly went to india and quadriga is a cryptocurrency exchange so a place where you buy and sell cryptocurrency and you know he had access to the cryptocurrency wallets in the exchange, because when you use an exchange, uh, you know, you don't own the, something. you have a private key and a public key for every cryptocurrency that is on exchange normally, or that you, every cryptocurrency, right, has two keys, yeah. private key and public key. But the exchange has access over private right. keys. Hence why exchanges are really vulnerable to hacks. And in this case, Quadriga, CEO actually reportedly died in yeah. India, And he had access to the private keys and the company is declaring bankruptcy. And, uh, people are like, I know somebody, well, I don't know him, but you know, somebody lost uh, 200,000
0: of his life savings. So that's scary, (laughs) isn't it? Yeah, that is really scary. I mean, that's the inherent risk, isn't it? When dealing in this industry is that, you know, a lot of this isn't regulated, isn't regulated and isn't insured. So when, you know, someone dies and loses all the public private keys and, and of course it's tragic and horrible, but because people can't insure their capital. What do you do in that situation?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, people, you know, people in my network are always saying how if if the, there's a quote and it's like, if you don't have access to the private keys, it's not really your wallet. And um, it's really interesting with the power that is being all the power of the of the cryptocurrencies being launched via IEO, initial exchange offering on an exchange, how so much of the power goes into you know, a subjective kind of um, opaque process of listing these coins, which it kind of is contrary to the whole points of blockchain and decentralized, radical decentralization, which is really yeah funny. for
0: sure, yeah for sure, because that doesn't really make it decentralized if one exchange has all the capital and all the power and all the on all the coins regulated, you know, regulating them themselves, but not actually decentralized. So, is there a better way of doing things? Do you think?
1: Well, I mean, you know, I always like looking at Decred and V and looking at how they have a governance structure. So, I mean, VeChain and and decred they're two cryptocurrency projects that I always refer people to when talking about good examples of decentralization, because there's a really clear voting process that goes into, you know, based on how many tokens you hold, Mm. so cryptocurrency tokens, you're able to uh, openly vote and openly discuss and openly have a stake in what decisions are made in the public. So you can determine prices on things, what gets listed uh, in a very open way. So I mean, if an exchange was uh, built from the ground up with this kind of, uh, you know, approach, that will be really interesting.
0: Yeah, for sure. But of course, there still could be whales that buy lots and lots of tokens and then make it centralized.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's fascinating. Like the problem of decentralization, you know, I go, I go back and forth because, you know, different ways of validating blockchains like proof of stake. Make it so that the more tokens you hold, the more power you have. So, how do you disincentivize somebody from just having the most amount of tokens in that scenario? Uh, people have done several things, but you know, it's really, uh, it's really interesting how it's like um, Animal Farm, right? Maybe we're going back to the, we're going to go back to the old cycle. Who knows? Yeah, sure.
0: And <laughs> so, in terms of projects, then, have there been any projects that you've found particularly interesting that are really pushing the you know moving the needle in terms of The blockchain space because I was speaking to a gentleman recently and he's actually an investor as well and he seems to think that blockchain companies for the sake of blockchain don't actually or may not actually confer much value rather he looks towards companies that invest that actually implement blockchain invisibly and are just companies as opposed to being blockchain companies what do you think of that
1: oh so you mean he invests in protocols not companies is what he's saying right
0: yeah essentially
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I I understand what you you, like that approach because you know I've seen three mega trends in this in this whole industry. Based on you know, I started by making reports for uh, for groups of day traders and swing traders via a company called Unified, and uh, they do this in a non-advisory SEC-compliant way. So, I mean, you know, based on all of the reports we've generated, I'd say there are three mega trends, and one of them is. Um, You know, solving the quote-unquote blockchain scalability trilemma. So long story short, uh, making blockchains better and faster, more decentralized and secure and making it non-compromised. And, you know, I've also seen projects that are trying to solve the problem of interoperability. So, I mean, helping blockchains connect to other blockchains. Mm. And third trend, I'd say, what is the third trend? I'd say just overall user friendliness. Uh, so of those three megatrends, I'd see the top, just find the top contenders in all of them. And I'd say for the example of scale, I'd say one example that's good is, you know, Eternity is a good example. So I mean, that's an interesting project that it tries to address all three of these things. Aeon is also really interesting because you know they focused on interoperability, but then they shifted more towards user friendliness re- recently. So I mean, yeah, just look at the projects that are the top of these mega trends that you're seeing amongst the blockchain projects.
0: Right, right, right. So in a nutshell, interoperability, user friendliness, and security at scale is that the three trends that you're trying, they are seeing are being worked towards in terms of building new solutions.
1: Yeah, and then the last point is more like um, it's like a tr- it's like a trio of. S- uh, scale, security, and speed. So, um, those are the three big pushes that, you know, are coming out of 2018 and going into 2019.
0: Right. So say for example, I was an investor and I've came to you, you know, you have information about the space. What would you tell me as an investor about how to actually invest, how to, how to analyze, how to understand whether a company is going to actually confer value and actually yield a profit? Like, what do you look for? What should I look for when looking at the financials or the forecast or the outlook of a particular company?
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, when it comes to, to that sort of stuff, you know, similar to what I was saying before, you know, one would, and this is, uh, you know, Again, you know, see compliance, all of that, Nothing financial advice. But, you know, what I would say is to, you know, make sure it's solving a problem. And th- th- I think that's, the, if I were to ask this one question to the project, what problem is it solving? And, you know, when people solve a problem, then there's a transfer of value. And if that value, you know, if the problem is big, then the value is big. And, you know, is there proof of that problem being solved? And all of that questions and all of that in the, in the three mega trends. Also, you know, I've watched a, I watched a TED talk, you know, a good, um, you know, the director of uh, technology at Unify actually showed me a good TED talk. And he was mentioning how t- market timing is actually more more important than than the team, actually, than the team, they said. Right. Because, you know, you look, you look at uh, MySpace and you look at Facebook and, you know, you look at all of that, you look at how the timing was super important. And you know what? The companies that launched right before 2017's boom, such as Augur, you know, uh, waves, you know, look at their position now in the charts, they they remain in the top 100 top 50, etc. Um, yeah, it's very rare that you see a project before those times before the 2017 boom, have a stronghold in the market. And so I'd say market timing is very important, as well.
0: Right. And I want to understand as well, why do you think that these companies like waves, alga, eternity, why are these companies, to the general public, to the to the average layperson, these companies don't exist to them and and why do you think these companies are still in this mystical realm of crypto space and blockchain world and and <laughs> when do you think these companies will actually start delivering services and products that the average person will use
1: that's a That's a very good question. and I'd say the you know amongst the projects that are attempting to solve problems. You know the problem of the scalability trilemma—speed, security, and scale—is you know some people argue that that's one of the reasons why projects like you can't use cryptocurrency in real life in uh, in uh, like in Canada, like like let's say I want to buy like like. You know, I want to buy buy a protein bar or something, Mm. you know, you can't use because like because Bitcoin takes, you know, 15 or 10 minutes or whatever to go through the blockchain network and validate. Mm. I can't know if the transaction is confirmed in that 5-10 minutes. But until a blockchain project comes and then solves that problem, then, you know, you would see a real use case and, you know, you'd be able to use money without anybody knowing or without, you know, it going through one server or without going through one bank or one chain of banks. Uh, So... You know, when you start seeing these blockages to adaptation being removed, then that will happen. But in the meantime, you know, we just see Bitcoin because, you know, it's the first one, you know, um, and
0: highest market cap as well.
1: Highest market cap. And, you know, it's just like the, you know, it's the same pattern. You know, when you see the dot com boom, you know, a lot of people would believe that we're in the uh, pre- TCP IP days of the internet. So TCP IP is just one of the protocols that created the internet. Mm. And, you know, until then, everyone is just kind of, you know, building their own blockchain projects quietly in their own networks. But until it goes mainstream and those big problems are solved by a valuable company, then uh, it will remain this way.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, that's really interesting. And I think in terms of barriers to scalability and barriers to implementability. I'm not sure how it is in Canada in terms of people actually adopting this for day to day use. But even over here in Europe, we're not really seeing anything in that way happening at all, like at all. And I wonder how long it will take before we actually start seeing these solutions being used day to day for the purchase of protein bars, for example. Yeah. And so I wanted to ask a bit about regulation, uh, a bit about regulation and also the, the, the legal issues that surround investing in, in these kind of, kinds of companies. Obviously, you mentioned briefly earlier about STOs, uh, IEOs, ICOs, but what is the general landscape right now for investment in terms of these companies? Is it, is it still seen as quite a gray area or is there more support now by regulatory bodies?
1: I mean, it's, it's a mix. And I'd say one of the issues is that in many jurisdictions, the, you know, securities law, is often principle-based meaning that there are no <laughs> there are no hard and white hard on black and white truths but you know uh i'd say i'd say when it comes to icos you know it's, it's, here's how it works right there are security so people label it as either security tokens or utility tokens and security tokens are cryptocurrency tokens that are a security and now what's a security what's what's a security well i mean you know when when I dug into this, it was like, oh, it's any assets that has to be regulated by the government. Mm. So like real estate, you know, equity, etc. So that means that okay, then that means that security tokens are securities. So then, what's a non-security token? How do I trade cryptocurrency without being a, a security? Well, utility tokens. So then, in 2017, early 2018, people were like, oh, you know, let's make utility tokens that actually have a real app use case and it's just in the app. And this is what a lot of companies did. I've seen a lot of companies, you know, like a, I wouldn't call them out, but you know, were utility token on the white paper, everything, everything. And in some cases, the SEC d- it didn't cut it, right? And now what? Then what happened was people started immigrating to uh, STOs. It's, you know, okay, so let's do a security token, but let's do it as an STO. Mm. You know, and then you know, I, I, what I believe is that people got really frustrated with you know how long the government takes to you know, make sure it's compliance. And then, you know, that's kind of, so we're in the limbo between that and IEOs yeah. where all the risk is taken by the exchange. Um, I believe it's the risk. Yeah, exactly. So I believe that's how it will work. And, um, you know, some companies in America, like I have an idea of a few, but one in America that is working with such a, uh, You know such projects to handle all of that,
0: right? Yeah. So we
1: split between IOs and STOs.
0: Yeah. So we're kind of caught in this in this this realm between IOs and STOs, and the main problem with STOs being the sheer time and cost required to validate a token as a security via regulatory bodies. Is that correct?
1: That's part of it. And it's just the overall, you know, the complexity of making sure it's compliant. People just run away from that. And uh, I I think people should be open to regulation if you want it to become adopted. But the reality is that, yeah, I've seen, I've seen, you know, venture capital firms and everything run run away from the the concept of SDOs.
0: Right. Yeah. And that's, that's the reason why we're doing what we're doing, right? That's, that's essentially your work is trying to facilitate, trying to make investment into blockchain companies more attractive to VCs. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. And, you know, I've run into a a legal blockage myself because, you know, I I got, you know, eight groups of investors, you know, over 7 billion in assets under management, including their groups, everything. So, I mean, but, you know, the the companies were on the other side and, you know, I was like, oh, I could connect them. But then it's like, wait, I can't because, you know, this is serious, you know, go through the regulator. Right. Mm. And so that's because it's a mix, not only because it's a mix of equities, it's because you also have, you know, cryptocurrencies as well, which in some jurisdictions are regulated and some there aren't and some they are utility and some they are not. So it's might as well just do that, right? And so that will add some friction in people uh, moving forward with helping the blockchain industry, I believe, and, you know, just a
0: matter of going through that friction. Right, so I think I understand this now. So we're saying that because of the nature of blockchain companies with tokens and securities and the time taken to validate to Make the token compliant and the risk that comes with blockchain companies and the non adoption of blockchain companies' products and services, and just the general uncertainty and this gray area ness that comes with the investment type in terms of blockchain company. This makes all of that unattractive to conventional VCs that have conventional methods of investing in tech companies. Is that what we're kind of getting at here? I
1: believe so. And I, I believe, you know, you, you have a small outlier. It's funny I say outlier because there's actually a venture capital company called Outlier Ventures. Nice. And there are several that are, you know, I believe that they've, they've transcended all of this and they have, you know, jumped right in and looked at different protocols, uh, you know, like, you know, origin protocol, different protocols, and they've in- invested in them, uh, because they have the necessary relationships. And they know, they, they understand to they get it. They basically they watch this podcast in advance to get it. And they they have, uh, they're investing. And this, I believe that kind of like, you know, you know, this, these are the, the species of venture capital companies that will win if blockchain is to become what people believe it can become.
0: Yeah, for sure. And for yeah. example, the likes of outlier ventures, they're thinking bigger picture they're thinking more about the protocol itself and you mentioned that word exactly. a couple of times now and yeah i think for our listeners it's good to just differentiate and make clear what a protocol is versus just the company
1: yeah no absolutely so i mean you know all this is just code like all this blockchain stuff is just code right and you know when look, here's a good example so there's one called What's a good example? So there's one called Zero X Protocol. Is it Zero X protocol? Oh no, Raiden Network is a better example. So Raiden Network, uh, so Ethereum is a bunch of code. And the thing is that the bunch of code, you know, it has no, there's no jurisdiction, nothing, nothing. So what people did, they built a foundation, a non-f I believe it's non-for-profit, I'm not sure, so I'm not gonna say what it is, but a foundation to kind of, you know, to say, okay, who do I go to if this happens and you have a company and a foundation. But the Ethereum is the protocol, so the protocol is the code, right, and so that's the difference, and the value of the blockchain is different than the value of the company mm-hmm. right and that's basically it. It's just a bunch of code that the foundation you know will be responsible for voting on who writes the code, who does this to the code, and the, th- the key is the separation between the, the code and the company, and because the, co- the code is the one that is the thing that's making the tokens. It's a place where and tokens are sent out and there's a market with them. Uh, an example of a good protocol will be Raiden, that was another protocol that improved upon Ethereum by making it faster. And so an investor would see that and get a lot of Raiden network tokens. Um, so, yeah, or get a lot of Ethereum tokens, right? That's how it that works.
0: So, okay, that's awesome. Thanks for that description. So, say I'm starting a company tomorrow uh that does blockchain for lampshades for example or i don't know some kind of lampshade coin for example (laughs) so so you're saying that the protocol basically i would then i would then use radon protocol in my company's code design process and essentially i would then pay radon protocol to use their architecture their protocol is that kind of how it works uh
1: okay so you have okay wait you have the. You made the, the lamp shade blockchain yourself. So you made the lab chain blockchain, lampshade blockchain, and you're using radon. Is that what you're saying? Just saying I just not understand.
0: Yes, and trying to understand how this works in terms of the protocol versus the company. So the company has a vision, has a solution, and we're saying that the company then goes to radon network and, and then uses their protocols. Buys their protocols, buys their their software architecture, exactly. their their coding coding architecture, and then the company is the lamp lampshade blockchain with Radon protocol bolted onto it as the architecture for information propagation. Is, is that kind of what we're talking about?
1: I mean, more or less. I mean, the, the whole thing is that you know the thing is that like I talked to Bi- Bitcoin Benny a while back about what at Komodo, right? And Komodo is another company, and so the thing is that they're very here's a good example they were very decentralized like they just had you know they had the project you know they were they're a cy- cyber gauge i forgot the cyber uh, i forgot the term but they're very very decentralized and they didn't want any government intervention nothing nothing right 777 um, he doesn't even have his real name on the thing his name is james and he has no picture nothing so that's wow. the, the decentralization but you know bitcoin benny uh you know, came in and he said, "Okay, guys, you know, we need investments. We need investments in traditional investments because we actually have a company. We have, we can make this code into a company." And so he said that you know, I'm going to establish a foundation, a company where I I say these people are the ones that you talk to for legal reasons or for this. This is who we talk to for investors. This is who we talk to for uh, any copyright issues. Is just to put it in the real world and make a. Legal of it. that's all it is right and typically these are these foundations you know best case for decentralization they're they're not private companies or open source because open source companies can make a lot of money through the protocols however many of them are private companies which is okay as well mm. just that you wouldn't have it would typically won't be as open right
0: right 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 so Radium protocol yeah is a foundation that people go to to consult for issues to do with building their blockchains and then they can also purchase Parts of the radar protocol to implement into their blockchain company to to validate their company's system use case um, and also to be more attractive to investors is that is that kind of accurate is that kind of correct?
1: Yeah, more or less. You, you kind of got you kind of got it right because um, otherwise GitHub so GitHub.com is where people publish code quite often, and otherwise GitHub.com will be the only way of knowing who is coding it and you know, there's no, you know, people need salaries, people need T4s, people need all of this. And we live in a real, real world that is still traditional. So it's about marrying the two.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause I'm, I'm just trying to really understand the protocol nature uh, as a part of blockchain. Um, I think, I think I've got it, but could you just, could, could you just really drill, drill down the exact nature of a protocol versus the company, please?
1: <laughs> absolutely. No, absolutely. Cause, um, you know, when you invest in a company, you're investing in a company's like shares use most often, right? Common shares mm. or preferred, shares, right? Which just mean that so common shares and I was just reading this today from my certification, actually. So common shares is just, you know, when you invest in a company, to get either get dividends or to get like a part of the company Uh, and the the money that a company has is reflective of the you know what their profits are and all of that stuff but the protocol is different because the protocol is crypto so the tokens the cryptocurrency tokens have their own value that is separate than the value of the shares of the company right yes because shares of the company are only reflective of the value of the company and the value of the company may or may not be linked to the protocol that the company created it's not, it's definitely not linked one to one. And that's the complication that's here. So, you know, every blockchain company may or may not have a company that's linked to it, or sorry, every cryptocurrency may or may not have a blockchain company that's linked to it, right? And, you know, some companies don't, that don't have a token and it's just, they use blockchain, but they have no token, it's just a company yeah, because there's no token. yeah. So it's just that every, you know, when there's a token, it's separate than the company. And the key is just, you know, my reports and my analysis it's just to talk about the, the currency itself or the token or the blockchain project. Yeah. And, you know, the performance of the company would be reflective of the price of the token because everything affects everything else. But, you know, they're two, they're two separate things.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, like I say, I mean, that isn't actually that straightforward at all. Like, that really is not straightforward, like, at all, do you know? And I think to the average investor, that can be really hard work to get their hair around, do you know? Because obviously, they will have conventional systems and, and techniques to, to, to analyze, to to do to deal uh, a company and to go through numbers and, and, and to model and forecast and think, right, can I earn 10x in five years? Yes or no. But when we're talking about protocols and how the company's value is different to the token value, it becomes very difficult to really understand and analyze and model and forecast and actually invest, you know? And I think that... I think it's part part of the challenge that comes with investing in blockchain companies.
1: You know, Bitcoin when it came out, it had no it had no company. It it just had quote unquote Satoshi Nakamoto mm. who coded something, and it went out to the wild. And then software companies that exchange or people that exchange this thing would have a certain demand and supply demand for it, and based on the demand, that's why the value went up. And yeah. that's it. There was no comp there was no company and yeah so i mean it's just that now people are doing that and they're creating the company. companies like joe blow creates a company and creates a copy of bitcoin and the copy of bitcoin may or may not be a billion dollars but uh it may or may not be linked to the company as well right
0: yeah sure yeah yeah sure that's actually very very interesting isn't it it's really interesting <laughs> that kind of double layer effect of The blockchain space and the companies you have the companies and you have the tokens but they're actually mutually exclusive but they're kind of also linked together because the actions that the company takes affects the tokens price and tokens price affects the company's actions um so there's there's a definitely a link there do you have any examples of cases where there's been real mismatch between the company's value and the token value
1: Yeah, I have one. So, I mean, you know, lawsuits are a good example, right, because um, so one that affects the company and not the token. Well, I mean, you know, when you have when a company has a lawsuit, uh, which are very common, like, you know, you you have Tezos and I'm not calling these companies out. I'm just uh, going over history. So you have, you know, Tezos, for example. And and what was another one? And I believe Augur had some media trouble and you know a lot of these companies are not publicly trading mm. anyways they only have private investors at most and so a lot of the things that go on in the company may not be reflective of the network so auger had you know auger launched their tokens in their prediction uh what's it called prediction market so a long story short people bet on future outcomes right and what happened is that you know not to get political but people started saying oh um, you know, Trump will get assassinated and stuff. Uh, what do you think, yes or no? So that started happening. The augur, the foundation, the forecast network—I believe Forecast Foundation—is they clearly said. So if you check it out, they clearly said that we are not augur. We, you know, augur has is a decentralized group of uh, of people, and Found- Forecast Foundation is just a company. So they, you know, just to remove their liability for what people post on there, they mm-hmm. did that and. The reason why was because it's decentralized, meaning there's no censorship. People can say whatever they want and it's just software.
0: Yeah, sure.
1: That's kind of the separation. So, you know, when it goes into legal matters, just to say, if you're making it decentralized and censorship free uh, and you want to keep an open foundation, then that distinction has to be really clear. All right.
0: Yeah, sure. Yeah, definitely. That's really, really important. And yeah, that that really is quite interesting because I think that's also, again, the nature of decentralized companies is that nobody is responsible, the network is responsible, and how do you allocate liability to a network of of decentralized people across nodes across the whole globe? Um, so, yes, that is both the strength and weakness of decentralized companies in the blockchain space in general is that it's beautifully decentralized and open and and you can have this exchange of value without regulation but at the same point in time there still lays a strong argument for regulation and being responsible and taking ownership of actions that take place on the network and it's really interesting i think this, obviously this hasn't really happened before and i think that that's the reason why there's so much interest insecurity excitement anxiety that comes with companies investments in in this space because we are really you know moving into uncharted territory you know and have you come across any real real success stories in terms of this then in terms of centralized companies and raising rounds of funding because Obviously, we're not thinking about conventional series, you know, C, D, venture capital realms. We're thinking of different ways of investing. So have you come across any particular success stories that have successfully raised capital from VCs outside of conventional ICO, STO, IEO?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of it has to do with, um, well, I mean, one one story. uh, Again, not financial advice, but, you know, what happened, you know, I, I continued to make reports for a company called Unify, and and I'm I learned a lot. And you know, of all of my reports, I did I think I did about seventy. Of all the reports, there would be a one hundred and ninety, so hundred and ninety percent return. So it's like the one company that got the biggest return was Engine Coin. And you know, I interviewed Vidtek there at, or sorry, Wittek there at the company, the CTO. And this was before they got annou- the announcement went out that yeah, they'll be on Samsung's phone. And after that, then it led into a big boom, boom in value. I think ten times or plus, 10, 20 times. I can't really remember uh, shift in value uh, there. Mm. So I mean, you know, people are really happy about this, and you know. Uh, sometimes it's just about the post exchange stra- strategy. Um, however, the problem is that there's a lot of speculation because a lot of these projects are early stage, meaning that the token, the value of the token, is not mostly reflective of the price. Mm. So I mean, that's also something else to consider.
0: Yeah, sure, and that's it because it's a lot of forecasting, a lot of speculation, and because a lot of this isn't actually grounded in reality yet. How do you make assessments? It's it's not really possible. Is there a set of tools that you use to go through assessing this?
1: Oh yeah, no, definitely, definitely. So I mean I mean people professionals do this. I mean placeholder VC with Chris Berniski there, he he has an entire valuation framework. And the oldest value cryptocurrency valuation frameworks are in the order of like three to four years old. Mm. So I mean it's very new. But you know, I, I just do a simple analysis where I, you know, I go through, you know, the I believe what I believe the, the market timing, the team, the the reachability of the project, the, the business use case, the you know what else? I'm just going off the top of my head, but and I just rank it in a simple decision matrix, and you know it's just it's an iterative process like everything else, and uh, so far that's been working. You tend to see patterns, and uh, I, I believe yeah the timings markets the part of the team and the partners, part of the problem that's being solved, part of the to see, see to see if like, how close is it to being a product? Because some projects have their value being a hundred percent speculative because the token associated with that project uh, has not launched quote unquote mainnet. And that all that means is that they haven't launched their thing yet, but mm-hmm. they're still trading and that's many projects. And so that's part of it. You know, and those are the ones off the top of my head.
0: Mm. Yes, yeah, really interesting. So, what do you <clears> think <throat> then, in terms of the space, investment, the you know portfolios, bringing investors together with companies? What do you think? How will this look in twenty-four months, for example? Do you reckon by that time there'll be framework, the regulation, there'll be easy access for investment into blockchain companies, or do you think that there'll be a, a fourth gen essentially of investment models that actually are on the blockchain what do you think
1: oh no absolutely yeah so i mean i know for a fact the canadian government is, is is working with ethereum and i know that you know we see we see banks that are issuing blockchain based company. It, it, a lot of it comes down to money because they're going to see how you know removing middlemen is always cheaper uh, mm. it's always cheaper and you know that's what blockchain that's the core value of the blockchain removing middlemen and you know i look at the You know, like when you go back to, you know, things like uh, 3D, genetics, AI, nanotechnology and all these things, you tend to see how, um, you know, big problems are being solved. Uh, It's just a matter of adaptation. And, uh, but in 24 months, uh, yeah, so how how would this look? I mean, I can't really say, but I say, you know, a lot of projects would die out. I'd say all of the talents would shift to a few projects, uh, developers and such. Uh, they will shift to the big projects that are actually, you know, launching and solving problems. And I would say for regulation, I would say that the government will be very slow to issue smart contracts as bonds and things like that. Like I know people want it to happen, but it will take time because the government is slow. So I don't think it would happen in 24 months. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the companies, I think that yeah, you're going to start seeing companies with real value. Um, Ethereum plans to use proof of stake plan to increase their transaction speed by I believe 10 or more times um, uh, yeah so I mean I think a lot of projects would die and a lot of the talents sh those projects
0: mm, yeah awesome and I think until then we'll just have to play it by ear and do what we can to invest in these interesting companies even if it means taking on ex- extra risk potentially
1: exactly that's the game right and um, you, you know without risk we can't be uh, There won't be any 3D, any genetics, any AI, any any oil. So, I mean, that's how it happened.
0: That's true. And just a point as well, um, you know, I think it's quite interesting because you mentioned removing middlemen, but (laughs) your role essentially right now is being a middleman to broach the connection between blockchain companies and VCs. What do you think about that?
1: No, I I find it funny. And I always say this. I'd say that <laughs> I like it. Do you know what I mean? Say, yeah, no, it's amazing, and I, I, I always make, I always tell people this too. I say, uh, you know, I was talking to some lawyers and stuff, and I was joking about this. Um, how would an automated broker be? Well, I mean, an automated broker would be purely in the blockchain. Mm. Luckily, you know, luckily human relationships are pretty valuable. So, I mean, that's that's basically what I'm writing on. And um, yeah, no, I find that hilarious. And you know, you see privatization among some of these companies, and opaque information, and it just ask the question: Okay, so uh, where is the decentralization? And you know, I think part of it is also there's a bit of duality that needs to be kind of looked at because, you know, I was always saying, yeah, for the blockchain companies to be adopted by the whole world, then governments would are part of the whole world, so thing to you, you see what i mean so it's, it's really um, yeah it's really mixed on that end
0: i'm just thinking because if everything was decentralized and governments still had a role essentially governments would just become nodes
1: peers yeah. <laughs> peers
0: peers on the network that have lots of lots and lots and lots of coins essentially Do you know like like basically if they were able to influence change on the network they basically would just be nodes that have large amounts of coins that can then make decisions, essentially. And then, if they have enough coins, and then become centralized again.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, the U.S. Treasury could. What if the U.S. Treasury just buys all all the freaking Bitcoin on Binance or whatever, right? Or yeah. buys all the buys all the or, or buys some small protocol, then, and and you, you know, when you look at Pareto principle, you look at you know uh the, the the movements of people around the world it's always it's always um you know focus in one spot so i mean i don't know it's, it's it's going to be interesting
0: yeah because the assumption is that the distribution of of wealth and decision making across the network is somewhat uh, it, it's somewhat dispersed right it's distributed quite hopefully evenly so that that facilitates a decentralized architecture where people can have a say, but not have too much say. But, you know, we always see with these systems and networks and distribution schemes, you know, Pareto's law comes into effect, where quite often the square root of the population own half the value. And that example that actually is seen with Bitcoin, where, you know, a, a small majority of people own like a large amount of the Bitcoins. And that happens across all of these decentralized networks. And I guess my concern is whether actually we can really achieve decentralization. Because whenever we have an architecture, whenever we have a blockchain that comes up, there's always a a, a cohort of individuals that have most of the of the value and decision making power on the network. And that seems to be a, a real theme. And I'm not sure. Like ultimately, I'm still learning. And right now, I haven't haven't really seen. An example where there's full decentralization because we know that proof of stake does have its flaws and that if you have enough money you have enough tokens you can have as much power as you would as in a conventional centralized system so what do you think about that
1: yeah i mean many things and i, and I love that i love that you know that sentiment you expressed um and you know i'm a big fan of decentralization and you know i look at in terms of the the proof of stake yeah like decred i I advise you to take a look at decred after because it's uh you know they have a hybrid proof of work and proof of stake model that tries to address it but honestly like you know i think it may be more this, this whole blockchain thing may be reflective of more of a of social waves you know when you look at you know the invention of the printing press you know so that you know, instead of the church having all the power, you know, you could have it so that, you know, people could, you know, freely go out and read whatever they want and re- read, 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 the, you know, scriptures, for example, and interpret them as they desire. So that was a form of decentralization. And you have, you know, open source where, you know, rather than private companies coming in and making all the stuff, you have private companies where people build on each other. Mm. Uh, you know, you have these different social waves throughout history where it's like, oh, you know, like the French Revolution, you know, you guys have all the power, you know. and I look at all these things, and it's like, perhaps this is just a social wave, and, and I think it's it's probably probably the truth sits somewhere in the middle, uh, as with many things, where you know there is a hybrid, because you know a lot of the a lot of the greats always creates, uh, you know, they always have capitalists, um, mentalities, you know, who create these large companies, and some of these companies are in blockchain. Um, you know, so, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a bit of a, uh, I don't like a kind of like an anti-pattern. It's hard to explain, but yeah, there's a bit of both in this.
0: Yeah. And I actually understand that for sure. And I think looking through history, I also see a pattern, patterns, emerging where there seems to be this gathering up of material and resources and power, it gets to a certain limit. And then people push back essentially and then power then is distributed across across the peers in the network or across society or across france for example you know as as an example in history and then there's a a reconsolidation of power in in new forms in new ways (laughs) and it seems as though this literally is just a kind of a trend amongst across societies across time that power is distributed It then kind of gathers up and becomes consolidated. It then becomes centralized and focused as a pushback, a destruction that falls out, redistribution of power, wealth, and resources, and it happens all over again. And again, I'm not sure. I don't know. But I wonder whether the racist centralization is another form of that cycle done in a different way. I don't know. But... When I when I look at the the landscape of companies and tokens and what's happening out there, you know, we have a capitalist regime that seems to be working relatively well, where people are able to compete to accumulate resources and power and wealth and then become centralized. But obviously when some individuals or some groups of people gain too much wealth, too much power, too much resources, that's when there's that inversion which takes place and that's redistributed again. And then new projects, new companies start up. So I think I'm not sure what I think, really, but this is what I'm seeing, and it seems that you're also seeing a similar thing, right?
1: Yeah, and you know, there's also the transparency aspect where people were frustrated with the lack of transparency, and then open source came up, and a lot of the blockchain leaders are open source fans, right? Mm. And here's a paradox of open source: is that yeah, ev- everyone can code it, but to code it, you know, the people that are trusted the most are the people that code it first, and the people who understand it are the people who can code. And the people who can code, you have to know the language, and you have to know the, you know, how the class was designed, how the architecture of the code was designed, to actually work on it. So I mean, you know, that's the paradox of open source, and that's a paradox of blockchain because ninety-nine, like ninety-nine point nine percent of these blockchain projects are open source. So I mean, the thing is that yeah, it's supposed to be like me and you. We can read, we can read Bitcoin's code, we can read Ethereum's code right now, and go into GitHub and even look. But it's like, uh, you know. If I want to issue my order of, I want this to be decentralized, I'm probably the one, and making it happen, I'm probably the one that owns most of the tokens, mm. uh, which is interesting. So yeah.
0: Yeah, it's the same thing again. Okay. It's that praise of distribution of power, wealth, and resources. Because again, with the open source example, that probably is a small cohort of people across the whole network of peers in, in that particular network that know how to actually do do those tasks and, and read the code and build and design it. So it essentially is the same thing, just rebranded um yeah that's kind of interesting we're kind of like diving into the philosophy of decentralization and open source now but it's interesting how we're kind of uncovering the fact that this distribution of power wealth and resources seems to proliferate across this architecture as well and um i'm interested to see how this will play out over time and if we actually ever will if we actually ever will achieve decentralization because to organize society. You have to have decision makers. We have to have people that make decisions, people that have responsibilities and liabilities and people that actually create value. And I wonder how that will, how those roles will evolve over time.
1: No, absolutely. And, you know, the difference um, in, in real life, I'd say the, you know, I've seen all these white papers and some of them criticize Bitcoin's mining because of mining pools being created mm. where, people with the most computing power join together to be able to validate transactions on a network, which means you have to power the network.
0: Absolutely.
1: And it's 51% attack.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and can, you <laughs> <Do> you <know? laughs> can you blame them, you know? Can you blame them? You know, if you're willing to put 20 million down on a mining farm in the Antarctic, well, fair play to you, you know? But again, that's the same problem with consolidation of resources, power, and wealth. And yeah, so I think I think we're kind of touching on, you know, we really are touching on those fundamental issues now, aren't we, of of what we're trying to achieve a blockchain and a centralization. You know, but we're trying to achieve this this ideal, but I'm not sure if we're quite there yet. And in the meanwhile, the VCs and the people that have large amounts of capital to invest in these companies are trying to figure out how to actually broach these conversations about investment, given the complexity, uncertainty, lack of regulation around these companies. So to take the next step of the distribution of wealth, power, and resources across society, it needs scalability and it needs money. But to do that right now, it's not that easy because of the regulatory concerns, the gaps between investors and the company. So we're at this kind of sticking point, it seems. Is that, would you agree with that?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, things are still moving forward in terms of not to toot my own horn. You know, I'm working to become one of those people to, you know, go into inside of the traditional financial markets with, you know, the understanding of blockchain. And, you know, a lot of advocates like, you know, Outlier Venture, they're teaching people about system design, sound system design and how to build your project so that you, you know, you incentivize people to make it uh, relatively decentralized. So that you don't run into all of these things very early in the lifetime of the project, and you know we see, you know, STOs, IEOs, and STOs evolving. Where there's a big trend of asset backed and real estate backed tokens. So that's most of STOs are going to be real estate backed. I'll just tell you now. And mm. the IEOs, you know, they're evolving where they people are trying to make the Nasdaq of uh, cryptocurrencies, where they're high standards. You know, they choose projects of good value. So these things, and along with most importantly, blockchain projects getting closer to solve big problems, will be the determinants of how far things happen, how much things go, how far things go. And you know, those who understand it are the ones who are going to win. And those who you know help it happen and build these projects are the ones that are going to be the future, like the next, like the next oil, the next railroads, the next uh, uh, steel
0: you know so yeah so we're saying that change is being created and innovation is taking place but how would you convince me and convince well i'm not saying i'm skeptical but given the trends we see across society in terms of wealth power and resources given the trends we see in centralization and decentralization how would you convince a person with that mindset looking at this landscape thinking well it looks kind of the same as the previous model how would you convince them that it's not the same as the previous model?
1: Well, I mean what's funny is that I was actually thinking, if it is, then I think that's the beauty of it too, in a way, because one, it may be getting us slightly closer to it. And, you know, two, it you know, look how well the printing press did. Look who won the French Revolution and look who, you know, went through you know, look what open source has done, it created Linux. So I mean, mm. you know, if it's if it's one of those, another one of those. Then I think it will be good because it'll it will be that next form of value. Like, look at Uber made kind of a decentralized network of taxi drivers. But
0: yeah, true. Now,
1: yeah, and then now people are trying to create decentralized versions of Uber, where
0: yeah, true.
1: Where there's no one one database that controls all the rules and does kind of some legal manipulation. So I mean. You know, maybe it's another iteration. Maybe it's not a one-stop shop, but, uh, you know, maybe it's just like a new car or a new iPhone. It's like a next iteration in that step. And secondly, you know, the purposes of blockchain are multifold. You know, you have the ideas of transparency where things are more transparent, even more transparent, because you can actually see the database and people have to agree on what happens in the database. And you see, you know, iteration when it comes to finally, uh, what is it? When it comes to middlemen, you know so I mean you send a transaction to somebody or you you have like your lampshade company and you're tracking the supply chain of the lamps you want to know you want your customers to know where the lamp's going, you know is my food being tracked well, et cetera, and so those problems of customer trust uh, will be solved, and so I think it's just you know an iteration
0: yeah, 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 so I think you've kind of fleshed out the main benefits and the main strengths of this movement. And I think we also have pretty much fleshed out the major risks and drawbacks in terms of regulation and risk and and, and time and cost to actually you know, do listings for token offerings, for example, and the complex that comes with companies and protocols. So yeah, I feel pretty happy with that. And I think that our listeners too, you know, would have gained a lot of value from this conversation because I, I know that I shall have in terms of understanding what you've seen in the industry. So we're coming up to time now. Is there anything in particular you'd like to say or points you'd like to address um, in regard to our conversations thus far?
1: Well, I mean, I mean, first off, I just want to thank you for having me on this. Like, Really, really nice change up, you know, talking, discussing with you and really, really insightful questions. And, um, you know, I also want to just say that, you know, blockchain companies. Uh, in need of funding, you know, I'm still here to help. Feel free to hit natsuinnovations.com/slash funding, and you know, you know, when the license goes through, I'll send out the 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 services for you. Um, but for now, just you know, submit your company information, and then be in touch when the time is right. And you know, I'm just working on you know building you know a compliance network of investors, and I'm still working on that. And I have some big plans to automate how I like some of these investment investor attraction methods so yeah going into the next year that'll be really big and uh, I look forward to seeing if this bull run is a false flag or if it's real so that's pretty much where everyone should be looking
0: right now Mm. so just um again thank you all for your kind words as well um just thinking the bull run what point is what key metrics are you looking for to indicate that the bull run actually is real and not a false flag
1: I mean one thing is you know, I, I'm, uh, you know, I come from, in terms of looking at these patterns, you know, I come from more of the fundamental analysis approach rather than the technical analysis approach. But, you know, one VC firm, uh, if you check out Kintaro Capital's website, they have a good technical, Kintaro com with a, with a K, K I N T A R O capital. And, yeah, it's, yeah. so, I mean, they have a good technical analysis piece. But personally, you know, cool. The intel the book, The Intelligent Investor, going back to the old school, is that they say that the market is always you know, an emotional man. It's always extremely biased. And what I'm doing, I'm just looking at the market sentiments and trying to determine, uh, yeah, like what is the market sentiment and when the market sentiments inflex, uh, then that's usually good. So I mean, it's just a matter of watching people's uh, sentiments. And there are a lot of good tools. You know, there are some AI tools out there for free, and there's, uh, what's it, called? Bus, bus uh, Sumo is pretty good. So there are a lot of tools out there to see the market sentiments, and sentiments often, you know, tends to reflect mm. people's activity.
0: Mm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's very, very interesting. So, again, thank you for your time, Natia. It's been an interesting episode today. I think we've covered, like, a lot of ground. And I think that got a lot to think about now let's catch up in 18 24 months time and see where you are with natu innovations i think it would be really really interesting yeah
1: that'll definitely be interesting i wonder where i'll be crypto moves fast so it's been nice having you you on uh talking with you right now it was really fun
0: wicked well good luck with your journey and we'll catch up soon cheers natu thank you sani have a good one bye-bye cheers cheers